Karl von Clausewitz once said, War is simply the continuation of political intercourse with the addition of other means, or, in common parlance, war is politics by other means. But what about the corollary? Sports is politics by other means. If you know anything about the state of Oklahoma, there is one sport that really dominates the state's mindset, that really stands apart in the state's culture, in history, and serves almost as a civil religion. And that sport is college football. Now, there are literally hundreds, probably, of radio shows, podcasts, television shows dedicated specifically to the sport of American football in Oklahoma. I don't intend to make this podcast another one of those. They do it much better than I could ever do it. But what we do have the opportunity to do is examine the early history of football in Oklahoma. And today on the America of America podcast, that's exactly what we're going to do. I hope everyone has had a great weekend. I hope everybody's excited to have a great week. This is the America of America podcast, and I'm Will Milam. The conservative scholar Michael Novak, in his book, The Joy of Sports, once said, Nowhere, they say, is football more passionate and single-minded than in Texas and Oklahoma. There's a good argument that Football might be singularly the most important aspect of Oklahoma's culture. It might be the single most defining aspect of Oklahoma's culture, more so than Oklahoma's political views, more so than religion in Oklahoma. Football might be the single most important thing to your average Oklahoman, including this one. Every year around the turn of August to September, Everyone comes out of hibernation and we all get ready to celebrate the inauguration of another college football season. Whether you're an OU fan, an OSU fan, uh, I guess there are some Tulsa University football fans, God bless them, but no matter who you cheer for, you look to fall with a sense of excitement. So why is that? Why, why is football so big in Oklahoma? What happened to make Oklahoma football the singularly most important aspect of our culture? And that's really what I want to talk about today. I wanted to do a short introduction as to the history of gridiron or American football just as a topic. And as I started doing research with that, I realized that American football has been, a long for, been around for a long time. There's been a lot of history to it. I you know, you could make a podcast series about the history of American football. In fact, I'm pretty sure a couple of good ones already exist. So I'm going to keep this as concise as possible. The earliest ball game that we know about comes from ancient Greece, and it was a sport called Episkiros. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. My Greek is not good. Please forgive me. And that game involved 12 to 14 naked men throwing a ball around a pitch, trying to get it to the other team's goal. This was played in the Greek city-states like Sparta, where it was played by both men and women. This sport was eventually co-opted by the Romans and was made into a sport called, again, I'm going to butcher this, harpistum. Harpistum? Harpastum? 
something like that. And this sport, there's actually very little known about the actual rules. There's references to it in Roman history, but we do know that it was violent. And it was from these sports that the game was eventually transferred to Roman Britain. When the Romans came to Britain, they brought their ball sports. We're going to jump ahead here a couple centuries, and this eventually becomes something that would be referred to historically as mob football. So it was a game that was largely played. Um, we can date it back to Oxford in the 14th century. And we also know that this kind of game was banned in London in 1314. This would eventually become a sport that would be that we would recognize, well, maybe not the gameplay, but the word football. In Latin, that would be pia pedalis, which was referenced in 1555 because pia pedalis, literally football, was banned at St. John's College, Oxford. At this time, there were similar games being played in Renaissance Italy, and that sport would be called Calcio Fiorentino being played in Florence, as Fiorentino is uh, obviously the Italian name for Florence. And also at this time, there were games being played in uh, the far west or the near east in places like Turkey. So switching back to Britain, specifically to jolly old England, uh, there were games that were that would become to be known as public school football. And the research suggests that the reason that a lot of the rules about football or what this would be um, an ancestor of what Americans would call soccer came from the public schools, because in the time of the Industrial Revolution, where working men were working six days a week and the only time that you got to take off time would be on Sunday to go to church. It was really the public school students that had that extra leisure time to actually write down the rules of the game. And it's from this timeline that we get the, the apocryphal story of the first derivative of that football game, which we would now call rugby football. Now, this, again, is apocryphal. I'm not really sure that it's true. I don't think it's true. It's a good story. I would like it to be true, but don't take my word for it. Um, so at rugby school, which is a public school in England, William Webb Ellis was a student in 1823. And it is said that when Ellis was a student, he, quote, with a fine disregard for the rules of football as played in his time, first took the ball in his arms and ran with it thus creating the distinctive feature of the rugby game. It is this addition that would set the stage of what we would eventually know to be gridiron football, which is, of course, distinct from both association football and rugby football. So moving right along to the United States, historians would say that the first modern football game to be played in the United States happened in 1869 when the College of New Jersey, now Princeton University, and Rutgers College, now Rutgers University, played a football match. Except this wasn't really a gridiron football game. The game was played by the rules of the Football Association based in London, so this would be closer to what we would call a soccer game. But five years later, in 1874, Harvard and McGill played a football game that was a little bit closer to, I guess, what would be rugby football, so a little bit closer to gridiron football than soccer. Uh, because Harvard was in was trying to play these matches against other American colleges who were hesitant to leave those association football rules, but McGill would leave those association football rules and play either a McGill style of game or a Boston style of game. And these styles of game were much more like rugby football or what eventually would become gridiron football. 
Soon after, we saw one of the most important innovations of American football, and this occurred in 1875 when Yale and Harvard played the first Yale-Harvard game, a tradition that goes on to this day in American football. Um, That game was important particularly because of a certain spectator, and that was Walter Camp, widely considered to be the father of American football, the single most important figure for the development of the game and the game's rules. Camp was known for bringing certain innovations into American football, like the line of scrimmage, the snap from a center that goes to the quarterback, and that is how the ball is moved forward. Now, these, of course, are reticent in every single play of an American football game, but in the late 1800s, that was new. It was revolutionary, and it really produced a distinctive sport from both association football and rugby football. Further animations that Camp made were the down-and-distance rules, the forward pass. Uh, He even came up with an early set of scoring tables, which included four points for a touchdown, two points for a kick after touchdown, two points for safeties, and five for field goals. Of those rules, the only one that stands today is the two points for a safety. But still, you know, he's getting there. So at the end of that late 19th century, we start to see the development of football all across America, specifically at the collegiate level. And eventually football would come to Oklahoma. In 13 years before statehood, the first football game happened in Oklahoma, and this was in 1894, and the game was played between an Oklahoma City town team called the Oklahoma City Terrors and a local high school. And thus, football in Oklahoma came to be. The next year, in 1895, saw football come to the University of Oklahoma. And the first season of football at the University of Oklahoma consisted of one game, and OU got blown out 0-34 by that local Oklahoma town team. And apparently, a lot of players came out of that game injured, including the coach. And what's more interesting is that coach, the coach of the Oklahoma Sooners football team, which is now one of the most prestigious jobs just, you know, in the couple states area, ended up leaving that job to go become a gold prospector. To put that in perspective, Lincoln Riley, the current head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, makes millions of dollars, is one of the most well-respected and sought-after figures in the state of Oklahoma. And the first guy to hold his position lasted a year and thought that gold prospecting was a better career choice. But in 1897, OU got its first real coach, Vernon Lewis Parrington. If you've ever been to the University of Oklahoma, uh, think about the Parrington Oval. It's the same guy. And he would coach for a couple years before deciding that football was interfering with his teaching position. So he went off to go and be a professor again and not be the Oklahoma football coach. Maybe this was a better idea than prospecting because Parrington actually would go on to win the Pulitzer Prize for history in 1928. And around the time that Parrington was coaching, so think 1900, turn of the century, Oklahoma A&M, the other major state college, which is now Oklahoma State University, started up their own football team. And at the same time, another Oklahoma university called Henry Kendall College started up their football team in about 1895. 
Uh, eventually, in 1907, Henry Kendall College would relocate to Tulsa, where it would become the University of Tulsa, and thereby bringing about the University of Tulsa Golden Hurricane football team, which is the other D1 football team in the state of Oklahoma. And by the 20th century, a lot, basically every uh, major Oklahoma university or college had a football team, Oklahoma Baptist, St. Gregory's, Northeastern Oklahoma, and East Central University all had football teams. So there ends the recounting of the origins of football in Oklahoma. Obviously, football in Oklahoma has many smaller stories, way more important smaller stories in its origin that we're going to cover at a later date, but we're going to save that, obviously, for, for a later time. But there are two cultural um, significances that I want to harp on at the end of this episode. Obviously, most people in the state of Oklahoma have their favorite football team, but no football team in the state has really achieved the success and prestige of the University of Oklahoma that that program has achieved in its 100-plus years of playing. Um, If you go to Sports Illustrated or ESPN, any major outlet that will tell you the greatest football programs in the history of college football. Oklahoma will always be in the top 10, usually in the top five, and really should be number one. If you were a listener from outside the United States, hopefully when the pandemic abates and you ever want to come to America, I would highly recommend coming in the fall and going to Norman, Oklahoma on a Saturday of a home game and getting tickets to just watch a home Oklahoma football game. It is one of the greatest experiences and is something that is so peculiar not only to the United States, but to the state of Oklahoma. The last piece of information that I'm going to leave you with this morning is actually not really related to college football, or at least college football in Oklahoma. And that is the greatest athlete that the state of Oklahoma has ever produced, and that is Jim Thorpe. Born in Prague, spelled Prague, but pronounced Prague, Jim Thorpe would go to college at Carlisle College, which is in Pennsylvania, and eventually become one of the greatest athletes in American history, especially with his showings at the 1932 Olympics. I'm not going to get into a lot of details of Jim Thorpe because we're going to have multiple episodes about him. But Jim Thorpe's legacy was not entirely in college football. Jim Thorpe's legacy in football, aside from being a great player, was that he would go on to become the first president of the American Professional Football Association, the APFA, which would later, in 1922, become the NFL. So, it is not wrong to say that the first president of the organization that would become the NFL, one of the most important sports or businesses in the world, especially in America, the first president of the precursor to that organization was a guy from Oklahoma. Here, I use Indian Territory and Oklahoma interchangeably. They're the same place, but obviously Jim Thorpe was born before statehood, so it would be Indian Territory. But for all intents and purposes, he's a guy from Oklahoma. And that's where I'll leave you this week. And thanks so much for listening. If you want to tune in next week, we're going to be talking about Hell's Half Acre, which was the red light saloon district in early Oklahoma City, which has some pretty wild stories of its own. I would not recommend that episode for our younger listeners, but it should be a very interesting time, and I'm really excited to tell those stories. So until then, I'm Will Milam, and this is the America of America podcast. I'll see you next week.